0: All right. Welcome back to the listener's commentary on the book of Hebrews. Before we jump into the content of this recording, just wanted to note in case you missed it on the last recording, that the new listenerscommentary.com website is up and rolling. That means there's a new version of the study hub. It includes all my online courses. And we're just going to keep building out that platform over time, adding more courses, adding more supplemental material to the audio, maps, charts, pictures, and things like that. So that's all available at listenerscommentary.com. If you click the little sign up button up in the upper right hand corner, it'll take you to a page where you can at least review what's there about the study hub and investigate that if that sounds like something that might be helpful to you. All right, in this recording, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 16. And the reality is Hebrews chapter 11 is all one big unit of thought, but it's a big unit of thought. And so for the sake of time on the recordings, I've broken it into two, Hebrews 11, 1 through 16, and then Hebrews eleven seventeen 17 to the end of the chapter. But just know that it all goes together as one unit of thought, really making one big point. And here's the way that point works. Chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews ends with a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2 about how the righteous person is a person who lives by faith. Well, that then becomes the focus of chapter 11. In fact, the word faith is used 24 times in this chapter. And the real point is this. We need to follow the example of the Old Testament faithful. Um, and the central idea isn't just the topic of faith. Like, it's just this is just all about faith. It's actually that faith or faithfulness is what leads people to be commended or approved in the Old Testament scriptures. So when you read the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament was the scriptures they had. When you read that, what led people to actually be commended or approved in those scriptures? Well, it was the fact that they lived by faith and were faithful even when it was difficult or hard. In fact, you see this idea of faith is what leads to approval or commendation at the beginning and at the end of chapter 11. So uh, Hebrews 11, 2 says, For by it, that is by faith, the people of old gained approval. They were commended. They gained a testimony is the idea. And then at the end of chapter 11 in verse 39, And all of these, all the examples that he's just listed off, having gained approval, same word, having gained commendation, having gained a testimony through their faith, and then he finishes the thought. And so that's really the idea is that just as Habakkuk 2 says the righteous person will live by faith, well... Here's a bunch of examples of people who did that, and that's how they gained a testimony or gained approval is for their faith. And so they were faithful to the end. They gained a testimony or approval for it. They are um, the original reader's example. They are our example of what it looks like to live by faith. But before he builds that list of examples, he begins with a general description of faith in verse 1. So this is what he says in Hebrews 11:1. Now faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. There's actually some difficulty in exactly how to translate the words certainty and proof in this uh, sentence. And the reason is because there's just variety in the meanings of the words. One of the realities about words is they have a range of meanings. Think, for example, of the English word rose. It can refer to a flower. It can refer to getting up, right? Um, so it has a range of meanings, and that's just how words work. Well, the word translated certainty is hypostasis in Greek, and it's difficult to translate. For example, it occurs 20 times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, but it translates 12 different Hebrew words. In the New Testament, it only occurs five times, twice in 2 Corinthians and then three times here in Hebrews. And that just makes it challenging to totally get a a grasp on the meaning of the word. But there's really two big categories of translations uh, that and both have shown up in various translations of Hebrews. The first is the idea of essence or substance. So you see this word hupostasis in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, referring to Jesus the Son, saying that the Son is the very image of God's hypostasis, God's essence, or God's substance. Uh, when this word is translated that way here in Hebrews 11, it reads something like, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Uh, That was the King James Version. Or the New English Bible says faith gives substance to our hope. So that's one possibility, essence or substance. The idea would be that faith is the foundation of the things that is hoped for. The other big category of meaning is certainty or confident assurance. That's the one you see in the translation I just read. Faith is the certainty of things hoped for. And we've seen it used this way in Hebrews already. If we hold fast the beginning of assurance, that's hypostasis, beginning of uh, the certainty firm until the end, Hebrews 3.14. It's not talking about substance or essence there. It's talking about assurance or certainty or confident assurance. Um, and so which one is it here? Well, it's just not clear uh, exactly what it is. 100%, but as we work through the sentence and look at the next word that's unclear, proof, and then we look at the examples that follow, I think certainty is probably our best option. So let's keep talking about this sentence, and then I'll show you how I think we can read it clearly once we get the whole sense. The other word that we need to understand is the word translated proof. And once again, that's a little difficult to translate because this is the only place that word is used in the New Testament. Um, but it was used in the greater Greek-speaking world for the proof or the evidence of something that was in dispute. And here, in Hebrews 11, 1, this word proof amplifies what he just said about faith being the hypostasis of things hoped for. So, it's the hypostasis of things hoped for, that is, the proof of things not seen. Um, and... Scholars have debated the exact meaning of these two words, hypostasis uh, certainty, or substance, and proof. But when you read all of chapter 11 and track how the, the examples operate, I think we get a pretty good sense of how we should understand verse 1. Um, in the following examples of all the faithful from the Old Testament, it works like this. You have the promises of God that those faithful people hope for, but they haven't seen the fulfillment of those promises just yet. They're unseen. Um, Well, faith, their faith and faithfulness, demonstrates, proves, or demonstrates, evidences the certainty of those promises, even though they're not realized or not seen yet. That's what's emphasized in each of the examples in the list that follows. And so as the author unpacks this in the examples um, to follow, we get a clear glimpse of the kinds of things he has in mind by unseen. It, It means invisible things, such as the existence of God, but mostly here in chapter 11, it refers to future things. Things that haven't happened yet because God promised them, but they haven't become a reality just yet. So they're unseen. So here's the way... Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 1 works. Faith is the proof that there's certainty, or maybe substance, to the things hoped for that as are uh, as yet unseen. That's what he's getting at in verse 1. Faith demonstrates the reliability of the promises of God that these faithful people are hoping for, even though they haven't seen the fulfillment of those promises. That's verse 1. Um, And it's a basic description of what faith is. Now, verse two tells us why it matters in this context where he's trying to call his original readers to be faithful. So look at verse two. It says, For by it... Um, That is, by faith, the people of old gained approval. The people in the scriptures, their, their forefathers in the faith, right? The people of old gained approval. And this really is the central purpose of this list of Old Testament faithful. In fact, as I noted, he's going to restate that idea in verse 39 at the end. And so it's not just to have faith, it's that Faith is what led the people of old to gain approval. That is, this word gain approval is from the word for witness or testimony. Um, It is their faith by which they were commended. Um, It was testified that they were faithful. That's the idea. Being faithful, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense, Even when you don't see for your entire lifetime, as the author will go on to say, the fulfillment of the promises that God made and that they're trusting in, even when that happens, that's difficult. And they were approved by that faith and faithfulness. And so that kind of faith is what the original readers of Hebrews need. And that's the kind of faith that we need today as well. So with that, he begins to build his list to drive home the importance of living by faith. As you listen to this list, notice two things. First, notice the repetition of the phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. When this is being read out loud in uh, the original congregation that received this this letter, um, they would hear that over and over again, by faith, by faith, by faith. And that repetition would just drive that point home. And then listen for the uh, emphasis on how faith shaped what the people of old did. It's not just that they have faith. Because of their faith, they acted a certain way. They did certain things. And so, by faith, they did this. Listen for those two things as we go through the list. But first, before jumping into examples of people, here's just a general statement about faith and unseen things in verse 3. By faith, there it is, begins that beat, that rhythm, by faith, by faith, by faith... We understand that the world has been created by the Word of God so that what is seen has not been made out of things that are visible. So we get the beginning of this rhythm by faith. And what does that faith lead us to do? Well, here it says we understand. There's a response of faith. We understand something. What do we understand? We understand, he says, that the world was created by the Word of God. Genesis chapter 1. God spoke and things came into being. John chapter 1 personifies that word as the Son. He's the means through which uh, God spoke the world into existence. And so they've trusted this. The original readers believe that. As uh, as Jews who have become believers in Jesus the Messiah, they've believed that their whole life. The world has been created by the Word of God because they believe Genesis chapter 1. And so they believe that. Then, with that, He begins his examples of people from the Old Testament, and they're in biblical order. He gives a few pre-flood examples, then he gives some examples from the patriarchs, then he goes on to Moses, and then he mentions a few people just real quickly after Moses. That's sort of the order in which these examples show up. And so he begins uh, with Abel, the first pre-flood example. So he says, by faith. So by faith, we understand in verse 3, now the repetition, by faith, Abel Offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he was attested to be righteous. He gained that commendation, that testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. This is the story that's found in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Uh, Both Abel and Cain bring their offerings to God. Both actually were appropriate offerings. One was a grain offering, one was an animal sacrifice offering, both appropriate. God looked on favor with Abel's offering, but not on Cain's offering. Why? Well, Hebrews tells us why. The reason is because Abel actually brought it in faith. Even though Genesis doesn't make it totally clear uh, what the problem is or the difference is between the two sacrifices. The author of Hebrews makes it clear for us, Abel's sacrifice was better specifically because of his faith. Uh, And since faith is consistently how one gains favor with God, how one's relationship with God is made right um, in the scriptures. Well, that's the point the author of Hebrews is emphasizing here. So by faith, Abel offered a better offering. Now, recall that I said to listen for what they did. Well, what what did Abel do? he offered, he offered. Um, And it was through his faith and the offering he gave in faith that he was attested to be righteous. Again, the word attested is from the same root word as the word gained approval in verse 32 and gained approval in verse 39. Uh, It actually, uh, the word righteous there actually connects it with the quote from Chapter 10, verse 39 from Habakkuk 2.4 about the righteous living by faith. So the author is very clearly connecting all of this together for us to say, here's how you can be attested as righteous. Live by faith like Abel did. In fact, through his example of faith, he's still speaking even though he's long since died. Now, continue on in verse 5, you get the next example By faith, Enoch, and so he's our next example of someone who lived by faith. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For before he was taken up, he was attested to have been pleasing to God. This is from Genesis chapter 5. So Abel, Genesis 4. Here, Genesis chapter 5. Genesis 5 is a list of Abraham's descendants And that list, it's a genealogy. We often skip those. We don't find them that engaging. But here's what's really important in the flow of Genesis about that genealogy in Genesis 5. It shows how God's what God said would happen did happen. The repetition in Genesis 5 in the genealogy is, and he died, and he died, and he died. Well, God said that death would enter the world if Adam and Eve broke faith with him and ate from the tree they weren't supposed to. Genesis 5 says, guess what? Even though the serpent said, oh, you surely won't die. He was lying. Death really entered the world. Death happened. But not to Enoch. Enoch is the only break from that refrain in Genesis 5. And he died, and he died, and he died. But in Genesis 5, 21 through 24, we get Enoch. And it says, he walked with God and he was not because God took him up. And so he... Experienced some uh, unique sort of uh, thing where he avoided death because of his faith. Uh, he was living in loyal companionship with God, hence faith, and thus God took him. And notice again here in verse five. Well, that's how he was attested that he was pleasing to God. In fact, the idea comes from the Septuagint that rendered the idea of walking with God there in Genesis five as pleasing to God, and so. He gained a testimony that is pleasing to God because he walked with God loyally by faith. Well, then the author um, extrapolates from Enoch's specific example a general principle about faith. So look at verse 6. He says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, to please God. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he proves to be one who rewards those who seek him. And so according to verse 6, the faith that pleases God involves two specific things. Believes that God exists, and believes that God rewards those who seek him faithfully. And that's really going to be the emphasis in the example of, of the rest of the Old Testament faithful that he's going to mention here in Hebrews 11. They looked forward to the greater reward. They looked forward to what was to come, even if they didn't experience it in their lifetime. And so to live by faith entails looking to a future reward that comes from God. Now, with that then, he picks up his uh, refrain again, and he picks up the next example, Noah. So verse 7, by faith, Noah... Being warned by God about the things not yet seen, right? Things that hadn't happened, didn't rain yet. Those are the unseen things. Um, so he was warned about things that he didn't see in reverence, in piety, that is, in trust by God and piety towards God. By faith, Noah prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. What did Noah's faith lead him to do? Well, he prepared an ark. He built an ark. And there were two results of his faithful action. On one hand, he condemned the world, right? His actions demonstrated that God's judgment was coming on the world. And so, for the whole time he's building that ark, he's he's waiting and hoping and trusting that what God said is going to happen is going to happen that God's going to judge the world by sending a flood. And thereby, he becomes a living testimony that the world is under judgment and condemnation. And the second result is, he himself was justified. He became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. That's the whole point of Habakkuk chapter 2. He demonstrates that even well before the prophet Habakkuk was told this by God, this is the way um, those that are in right relationship with God live. They live by faith. And so Noah is an example of, uh, for all people of all time, of how to become right with God. And that is through trusting him in faith, by living by faith. Then the author moves on in the biblical story to Abraham. And so he says in verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for inheritance. And he left. Not knowing where he was going. Notice that. Not knowing where he's going means it's unseen. He's, he's going someplace he's never seen before. We, we're, we're now saying the same idea in different sorts of ways. And so by faith, Abraham, he dealt with some unthings, uh, unseen things as well. How did he deal with that? Well, he obeyed by going out when he was called. That's what he did. He obeyed. Now, the author of Hebrews actually gives extensive attention to Abraham. And the reason for that is because Abraham is the founding father of the Jewish people. He was the one through whom God uh, God's promise was carried forward. He's like the poster child of being deemed righteous through faith, Genesis 15, 6, right? And so he begins this extensive treatment of Abraham here in verse 8, and he does so with Abraham's call to leave his family and homeland. You can read the account in Genesis chapter 12. Let me just read you a few verses. The first three verses of Genesis 12 says this. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Abram is the shortened version of Abraham, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed." And so by faith, Abraham obeyed these words of God by going out. He left the land he knew and was comfortable with, going to a land he had never been to, going to a land that God said, I'll eventually give this to your descendants. Not only that, I'm going to give you lots of descendants. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through you, all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So not knowing where he was going, um, Abraham went out. God called and promised, and Abraham obeyed in faith, and it demonstrated the substance of God's promises. It demonstrated the certainty of God's promise that even though Abraham didn't know where he was going and how it all play out, God could be trusted. The author of Hebrews then continues with the story of Abraham in verse 9, saying, By faith he, that is Abraham, lived as a stranger in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. And so he lives as a stranger. The idea of the word there is resident alien, a foreigner. And so he's living as a stranger or a resident alien in a foreign land, Living as a nomad among the established inhabitants, that's the point of living in tents. He's a nomad. He, he doesn't own this land. God had said he's going to give him this land, but he, right now he doesn't, he, he hasn't. He doesn't own this land. He's living as a nomad. And he—and his descendants, Isaac and Jacob, they followed suit. Um, they lived in that land as nomads as well, um, without really owning the land, not being a great nation yet. And so even down to his grandson. The realization of the promise was still unseen. But because of his faith, Abraham was looking ahead. So look at verse 10. For he, Abraham, was looking for the city. So he lived as a nomad in tents because he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And so notice he's expectantly looking ahead, waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. And that led him to look for the city in contrast to the tents that he's living in, right? The difference between tents and cities, one's a nomad and temporary resident, one's established and permanent. Uh, Notice it has foundations uh, versus being a stranger and a resident alien. You can put down roots. And the architect of this city is God. He's the one who's going to build it. Now, just note this language of city uh, because this idea is going to show up several times. It'll show up again here in uh, chapter 11. But then in chapter 12, you get, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Or again, in Hebrews 13, 14, here in the present world, we do not have a lasting city, but we're seeking the city which is to come. And so this actually becomes kind of a theme that he's going to mention or refer back to over the next handful of paragraphs as he develops his final exhortations here. And so Abraham's looking for a city um, that God has promised to him that God will give him someday. The author of Hebrews continues the story of Abraham, now incorporating Sarah and the promise of offspring in verse 11. And so he says in verse 11, By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Now, the grammar here is actually a little confusing. And commentators have suggested various ways of reading verse 11. The problem is that verses 9 and 10 and in verse 12, which follows this one, the subject of the sentence is Abraham. And in the Genesis narrative, the focus of the narrative, even the narrative of Sarah, is still Abraham. Um, And the problem, though, is that the ability to conceive is more literally the power to lay down seed, which typically refers to the male's ability to produce offspring. The Greek word for seed actually is spermatos. You can hear the English word sperm in there, right? Uh, but at the same time, beyond the, uh, being beyond the proper time of life, well, that actually fits better with Sarah than with Abraham in the Genesis account. Because Abraham was capable of having children through handmaidens, before Sarah conceived, and then after Sarah's death, he had more children. So he's not really beyond the proper time of life in the Genesis narrative. And so uh, the problem in the narrative is with Sarah being barren. So the, the struggle is, how do we put all that together with the grammar here, the story there, and all the parts? And so some suggest seeing the reference to Sarah as Uh, accompanying Abraham. That is, Abraham is still the subject in verse 11 of uh, of the sentence. He received the power to lay down seed and he considered God faithful. And obviously that involves Sarah too. Like she's an accompaniment to that. Uh, But one challenge to this is no one in the Greek speaking church in the first few centuries of church history read it that way. Uh, And since they were more fluent in Greek, we should probably at least push pause and consider that. Others have suggested maintaining Sarah as the subject of the verse and see the idea of laying down seed as referring more to seed in the sense of offspring or descendants. That's actually the way Genesis uses the word seed or offspring. It uses it not for physically being able to conceive children, but for offspring rather than semen. And so either way you read this, the point is essentially the same. Abraham and Sarah became parents in their old age due to God's promise. And that's the point that the author of Hebrews actually draws out in what follows. Look at verse 12. Therefore, even from one man, And one who was as good as dead at that, there was born descendants who were just as the stars of the heaven in number and as innumerable as the grains of the sand along the seashore. At the center of what God had promised Abraham was descendants. In Genesis 12, uh, we noted that he was going to be made a great nation, lots of descendants. But then several times uh, through the life of Abraham, God actually restates that promise. And so, some of the same language that's here in verse 12 of Hebrews actually comes from Genesis 15. Genesis fifteen five says, And God took Abraham outside and said, Now look towards the heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. And God said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Or again, in Genesis twenty-two seventeen, indeed God says, "I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens, and as the sand which is on the seashore." And so God uh, has promised Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have seed, that is offspring. And so even though Abraham and Sarah were old and childless, God blessed them, and eventually he fulfilled his promise to them, and they had many offspring. Well, after noting that, the author of Hebrews then pauses for a second to emphasize the challenge of all of this living by faith for the people he's mentioned so far, especially for... Abraham since this list is intended to call the original readers and us to remaining faithful the author wants them to see that Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob all living as nomads in a foreign land still waiting still looking forward to this great nation and these many descendants and, and that's hard and so he says this in verse 13 all of these died in faith without receiving the promises. Like they died before they saw the fulfillment of what God had told them he would do. But having seen and welcomed them from a distance. So the promises are unseen, but they've grasped them by faith as if looking into the future, looking into the distance, and they've seen them at a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. And so they hadn't received the promises and they died in faith um, looking at the promises from afar and saying, "We're, we're nomads here. We're for we're we're strangers and exiles on earth." And this phrase "strangers and exiles" is used in First Peter and used here to refer to the idea of being people who they're not at home in this world. Though um, this this world's system and this world's ways and this world's unfaithfulness to God makes them like foreigners and Uh, resident aliens in a foreign land. That's how they lived on earth. And then the author of Hebrews says, for those who say such things, make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Right? They're, They're not at home here. This is not their true homeland. And indeed, if they had actually been thinking of that country from which they left, they would have had opportunity to return. Like if Abraham, knowing he was a resident alien in the promised land, had wanted to go back to Haran, he could have. He had opportunity to do that. But as it is, verse 16, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. So the author of Hebrews is saying they could have gone back to their earthly country when, when it got hard, when God hadn't fulfilled the promises through their whole life, but they didn't. They trusted the promises of God because they were actually looking for a homeland that's from heaven, that is from God. That word country there in verse 14 uh, that's what it refers to, fatherland or homeland. And they're thinking uh, of the country from which they had left out as the, you know, like they're looking for a new homeland. But as it is, they desire a better country. Uh, that's a better homeland. And so, being nomadic people, going back to home would have been relatively easy. They could have just packed up their tents and gone back, but they didn't because they were living by faith and they were seeking the homeland, the country that God had promised. And notice the idea of return in this little segment in verses 14 through 16. Return has a powerful rhetorical impact for the original readers because they are considering a return of their own. They're wanting to return to Judaism. But in contrast to that, Abraham didn't return. He had no willingness to go back to the old ways he grew up with and the old place he grew up that was comfortable. And so the author then of Hebrews ends this section by saying, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, For he has prepared a city for them. They gained this commendation from God. He's not ashamed to be associated with them and to be called their God. And he's prepared a city for them. They might be living as nomads now, but there is an eternal city that lies ahead. And he has prepared a permanent place for them. A true city in contrast to the tents they, they, they lived in for their whole life as foreigners. All right, that's the first half of Hebrews chapter 11. The second half we'll pick up at that point and actually pick up with Abraham and then carry the emphasis forward to uh, emphasize this theme of the importance of living by faith. And so we'll pick that up in the next recording. But before we leave this recording, I just want to say a huge thank you to those of you who support the Listener's Commentary. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowdfunded Bible-teaching ministry that's made possible by the generous support of ordinary people just like you and me. And so to those of you who support this ministry, thanks a ton. And if you've been impacted in any way by this ministry and you want to share the blessing of this ministry with more and more people, would you uh, consider joining the team of supporters. You can do that by going to listenerscommentary.com, clicking the Give button, and setting up a one-time or a recurring donation right there uh, on that page. So thanks a ton for your support.